Good evening. If you will, take your uh, swords, your word of God, and turn to uh, Acts chapter 6 with me this evening. Acts chapter 6. You know, I, got a, uh, I was thinking, uh, Charlie was up here earlier, going to start the service, and the microphone wasn't working, and now the slides aren't working. I think I'm getting pumped. Right? So if the mic doesn't work, I can talk loud. <laughs> so are, are the slides working now, guys? All right, good deal. All right. So I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to speak to you tonight. Um, this is certainly a, uh, a lesson that I think will be good for all of us in talking about um, the servants of the church. And uh, hopefully we'll dispel any uh, misunderstandings ab about what the servants of the church are, as well as give you a little insight as to what the office of a servant of the church truly is. From the word of God. So I appreciate the opportunity to be with you tonight and to present uh, this message to you. You know, in Acts chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 1 through uh, verse 6, we see that the early church's history, and in, their, uh, in the early church's history, the number of brethren increased dramatically, and it did that way very quickly. Uh, we look to uh, the day of Pentecost and some 3,000 men uh, obeying the gospel that day. And so the growth was very quick in the church. And, and when you have something that happens very quick, sometimes you have a little growing pains, if you will, to overcome. And certainly the first century church was no different in that. Uh, the circumstances caused the church in Jeruz Jerusalem to have a large number of widows who needed care. And that's what we read about here in, in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Some felt that preferences were being given to the native widows over those of foreign lands. And so they went to the apostles and they presented this, this issue that was, was taking place in the local congregation. The apostles were approached with this problem and they rightly pointed out that they had their own work to do and that the additional workload of personally caring for the widows would prevent them from accomplishing their first duties, that is the spreading of the word of God. And certainly that's no different from today. Uh, we certainly don't want our elders uh, being involved in all of the the things that uh, other members of the congregation could certainly put their hand to do in doing the work of the local congregation. Isn't that often the case, though, that men are placed at the head and suddenly they're expected to do everything? Uh, we come to the elders and we say, okay, well, we, we're having a problem with the lights or we're having a problem with the AV or we're having a problem with the microphone or whatever the case may be when really they should be concentrating their efforts on the more weightier things of the congregation, and that is making sure that we have faithful brothers and sisters in Christ and helping them along the way to make it to heaven. So we as members of the Lord's church then should be servants in the church. All of us have the duty to serve and to minister to one another and to those of the world. 
The solution then was to ask the church to select seven men of good reputation to handle this business. And that's exactly what they did there in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Though the men are never called deacons here, in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, they were asked to serve tables. And I would uh, put forward the argument that although they may not be called deacons here, they serve the role of a deacon in the responsibility that they were doing there in the congregation in Jerusalem. The word deacon is translated from the Greek word of servant. And it is translated in a variety of ways depending on the context. It can be translated a servant, a minister, a deacon, or even a waiter. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, the distribution, serving of food, or ministering to the people. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, the ministry, the feminine noun form is used. And it was used for the act of service being performed by these men of that congregation. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 2, we see the word serve there, and it's the same Greek word as we come up with the verb form of deacon, that is to serve. And it denotes the action of serving. Now, certainly an argument can be made that we as Christians, each and every one of us as a Christian, have a duty and responsibility to serve, do we not? And we'll point out some examples as we go through this lesson this evening of how Christ gave us an example that we are all called to serve. In the same word used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, and 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, serve as deacons. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's used as the office of a deacon. We also note that the men selected were appointed to work by the apostles. And it is the same word used by Paul telling Titus to appoint elders in the church. So we see a lot of scriptural reason as to why we should have elders and deacons in congregations even today as the church was established early on in the first century. The only thing missing is the masculine noun form of the word deacon, and that is used as the title of office in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. And if you'll turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we want to we look at a few verses there and look specifically what the office of a deacon is. You know, I thought it was appropriate that we talk about the office of a deacon and the responsibilities of deacon as we are considering our uh, brother Travis Fradell for uh, the appointment of a deacon um, next week. And uh, he has already shown to be a, a man of, of good reputation and honorable. And, and as we look through these uh, scriptures in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you will see it paints a very good picture of what a man in the office of a deacon should be. Even if they weren't formally holding the office of deacon in Acts chapter 6, the argument can be that they were certainly performing the service, the act of serving. 
Let us note a few facts. The men were selected by the church, not by the apostles. The apostles appointed them to a specific task, and these men were not serving the apostles. They were serving the church. Now, oftentimes we use the word church as meaning the building, don't we? And unfortunately in Scripture, that's not really how that word is is used. The church is the people, isn't it? You remember the, the little saying that we learned as children, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and see all the people? Well, really, the building is just a place convenient for us to meet. But the church is truly those brothers and sisters who have been obedient to God's will. Service is a Christian duty that is not limited to certain people. Service is a Christian duty that is not limited to certain people. Therefore, we see in the biblical examples that we are looking at tonight that we're all called to serve. We may serve in different capacities. It may not be that you uh, lead a Bible class or that you have the capability of getting up before a crowd and presenting a message, but we all serve in some form or fashion, don't we? And that is our responsibility as a Christian. We first must have service to God. And how do we have service to God? Well, Jesus set the tone in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant." And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, that word deacon there, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is not talking about the office of a deacon, but yet our responsibility to serve or to minister, just as Christ did for us. The word in verse 26 is the word for deacon as the title, in the case translated as servant. And in verse 28, Jesus used the verb form twice, that is to serve or to minister. Therefore, we as Christians have a responsibility to be servants in the Lord's church. All followers are servants. John chapter 12 and verse 26, Jesus speaking here. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So number one, our service as a Christian should be to God. We are to serve and minister at the mercy of the almighty God. And certainly we see in the judgment scene as well in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and 
and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not decanos minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. Therefore, we as Christians have a responsibility to minister to one another, to serve one another. Certainly, that is a very important part in our life as Christians. In serving or ministering the downtrodden, Jesus said that they were serving him, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 44. And then secondly, we're to have service to the church and to our fellow Christians. Paul stated that in delivering the relief funds to Jerusalem, he would be ministering or serving the church, Romans chapter 15 and verse 25. Paul stated that in delivering the relief, uh, the word relief there is the same word we use as serve or service in the church, Acts chapter 11 and verse 29. And other men were selected by the church to serve or to administer as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. Another interesting place in scripture is the writer of Hebrews complimented Christians for their service to ministering as Christians. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. So we as Christians serve each other and are able to do this with what God supplies us and the abilities that God supplies us with. Some have a gift of service. There are different ways to serve. Examples of service are like the household of Stephanus in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15. And it says there, I urge you, brethren, for you know that the household of Stephanus, and it is the first fruits of Acacia that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. So we can see biblical examples of Christians serving Christians. Not only do we have a responsibility to serve God, but we have a responsibility to serve one another. We also see examples that the apostles were servants. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, ministry of the word, as we looked at a few moments ago in Acts chapter 6. And Paul said it was the act of service given to him by Jesus in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry, decanos, which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace, of the grace of God. So we're to minister and to serve. Preachers are servants. We see example of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
your service before God. So we can see that it is the responsibility of our preachers to serve their fellow Christians. And Paul and Apollos were examples of ministers or deacons in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Timothy, of course, is another example. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2, and sent Timothy, our brother, and minister of God. That same Greek word, dekanos. That our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. So Timothy, again, was an example of that as well. And then the government is a servant or a deacon in Romans chapter 13, verses 3 through 4, as we know, the government is instituted and set aside by God, and they are to be of service to the nation in which they serve. Though all Christians serve, there are some who hold the office of servant. There are some who hold the office of servant. Turn, if you will, over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And let's look at verses 8 through 13. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also be first tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let's look at these verses for a few moments this evening. Number one, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8, they are to be men who are reverent. They are to be men who are worthy of respect, dignified, honorable, and holy. Secondly, they are not to be double-tongued. The Greek word here, double-tongued, insincere or deceitful literally having two words telling one person one thing and then another person something else they can also refer to someone repeating information or telling someone private information about another not given to much wine literally not constantly holding on to the thoughts of wine in other words as we would say today not an alcoholic Fourthly, not greedy for money, not having a greedy eagerness for dishonest gain, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, holding on to the true doctrine, not just in word, but also in action, sincerely from the heart, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 19. As we say so many times, and even to our children, actions speak louder than words. 
our brother Bill Greer so many times has used the, the saying that sermons are better seen than heard. And certainly we can see that in men that we choose to be in the office of a deacon. They must first be tested. This is not on-the-job training, but they must be proven before they even are appointed as a man of being a deacon. Blameless of having a good reputation, not open to accusation. You know, that's not only in the church, but in the world. And certainly we need to look for men that meet those qualifications. And then this next one, the husband of one wife. And that, that literally means a husband, male gender, of a wife, female gender, in the true sense of the word as we look back to the gospel or to the Greek here in the Bible. Not to be confused with so many ideas that the world has about those topics today. Literally, he is to be the husband of one wife. I don't know many wives who are the husband of one wife. And lastly, they are to be rulers of their children and houses well. The rule here literally means to stand before. The man that leads his family and his children are not neglected or out of control. This is not the word for a dictator. He is someone his children want to follow. And their wives are to be reverent, worthy of respect, dignified, honorable, and holy. Not slanderers, not a false accuser, not an adversary. It literally, the word adversary there is the same word that we use for devil. Now, I'm not calling any wives devils here, okay? But it's the same Greek word that is there. Temperate, doesn't drink, abstinent, faithful in all things, a trustworthy believer, not just a Christian in name, but a faithful member of the Lord's church. So why is there a need for these qualifications? Notice, if you will, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing, the great boldness in the faith, in faith, in the faith which is Christ Jesus. They represent the church by their position. Oftentimes we say uh, in my line of work that when you work for our company that you represent something much larger than yourself. Much larger than yourself. Certainly one who is being appointed as deacon represents one thing that is much larger than themselves and that is the kingdom of God, the church. What do deacons do? You might ask. These are men who represent the church through their service to the church, to the brothers and sisters in the church. They are men to have taken on the task to serve the church by helping the church fulfill its particular duties. That is to minister and serve our fellow man. Not only to serve God, but to also serve one another. Can you have deacons without elders? The Bible never gives us a mention of having deacons without elders. 
They are independent tasks. Elders are to oversee or to guide or to teach, while deacons are to perform services of the church. Deacons are not serving the elders, but the church and its members. And certainly the elders are part of that. They are not elders in training or taking over some of the elders' duties. If anything, it would be like the apostles in Acts chapter 6 that we looked at earlier. Deacons are performing tasks, thus keeping the elders from being distracted from those other duties. Those other duties that sometimes we as members of the church call the elders to do. What color should the carpet be? What color should the paint be? What should the temperature be set at on the thermostat? Those are really minor things in comparison to what the true duty of an elder should be, and that is shepherding the flock and being responsible for helping us all make it to heaven one day. We know that churches had both deacons and elders, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. But we also see the mention of men performing services without the mention of elders. So therefore, it is the responsibility, as I said before, to all of us as church members to serve and to minister. If we take Acts chapter 6 as a rough example, then it is probable that deacons should be found among the church, appointed by those in leadership and assigned tasks, thus implying the leadership would have to be in place prior to men being appointed as deacons. Can you have elders without deacons? Well, again, the example in Acts chapter 6 would make that implication. We see great emphasis placed on the appointment of elders in every church, in every congregation. But there is no mention of deacons being simultaneously appointed with elders. Again, there are independent duties which are mutually benefit the church in their own responsibility, if you will. Other references to servants are debatable as to whether they were office holders or just performing a service. But certainly all of us as members of the church are to perform the duties of serving and administering and ministering to one another. Again, lacking better evidence, it appears multiple deacons are expected in a congregation. You know, we have seven deacons here to, uh, at this congregation already, and an eighth, Lord willing, next week. Our last point this evening is this. All Christians ought to aspire to be the best that they can be. All Christians should aspire to be the best that they can be. We should pray in our prayers every day, Lord, help me to be the best Christian that I can be. Help me to be the proper example to those around me. And help me to serve God to the best of my ability. Some will display great talent in serving the church and their brethren. And we ought to look among and encourage those who can meet the qualifications of a deacon to serve the church as deacons. I certainly would say and hope that you understand too in looking at these 
qualifications of men that we look to to be deacons that our brother Travis Friedel certainly meets these qualifications. I appreciate him as a brother, and I know we all do. He is a man that is reverent, honorable, and holy, and one certainly that I am very happy that the elders have brought forward to place his name before the congregation for that duty. But let us not forget, all of us as members of the Lord's church are to serve and to be ministers to one another. And doing that is our responsibility as we go through our life and we have opportunity to show the word of God and share the word of God with others. We should certainly do that. We can do that by word and by deed. Certainly we can talk the talk, but we as Christians need to continue to walk the walk. We need to show those sermons rather than just preach those sermons. We must share the word of God with all those who will hear, so hopefully they will believe and obey. There may be here some this evening who have never responded to the Lord's invitation. The word of God says that you must hear the word of God, that you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning on purpose. Have that change of mind. You to confess with the mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning on purpose. And lastly, you are to be baptized to wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. We, after we are, after we become a Christian and we're added to the Lord's church, we have a responsibility to continue to serve and to continue to minister to one another. And most of all, to remain faithful till death to receive that crown of life. There may be some here who have already obeyed the gospel and have fallen away. Perhaps you have a public sin that you need to repent of, or perhaps you need the prayers and thoughts of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We offer you an invitation to become a Christian tonight or to make your life right before God. We offer you that invitation now as together we stand and as we sing.